Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Uh, I want to uh, wish you a very happy fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent is a season of waiting. And during the waiting, we've been exploring the words of the prophets, which feels appropriate, right? Uh, to kind of look at the prophetic word of our Old Testament prophets as we join them in the waiting of the coming of the Messiah. In the first week, we heard uh, Jeremiah speak of the coming of a righteous king. And we learned about the unique nature of the kingdom of God. Last week, we were reminded from the prophet Zephaniah that joy is possible in any circumstance. You remember that? Uh, how we, we learned that like in the Old Testament, this, this prophetic word from Zephaniah was, look what God has done, uh, and it brings joy and singing, and it was kind of attached to a particular circumstance. But then what the New Testament authors do in light of Christ is they, they say, now because of the work done and accomplished at the cross and through the resurrection, we can have joy in all circumstances. And all the people whispered, amen, because that's hard, Right? Uh, it's hard to have joy in the midst of all the circumstances, and yet uh, we know that through the Holy Spirit it's possible. Well, this week I want to hear from the prophet Micah, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, you can click there, you can also follow along on the screen, but um, Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. I normally read from the New Revised Standard Version, but today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. Uh, it's a little more relaxed in its translation, but it's good for us this week. So Matthew, or Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 2, says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for there will be, they will be highly honored among the world, and he will be the source of peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, now Bethlehem was a rather unremarkable town. Uh, this is why the prophet refers to it as a small village among the people of Judah. It's a small village, and, and here's generally where it's at, right? Uh, in other words, Bethlehem is kind of a nowhere place. It's a, it's a pretty undescript, unremarkable town. Uh, however, this unremarkable town actually becomes the center of a remarkable event, which is part of the purpose of the prophetic word. Uh, that after the birth of Jesus, early Christians remembered Micah's prophecy and saw that Bethlehem had been moved from relative obscurity and had moved to center stage because it became the place where the Messiah was born. Now today, Bethlehem is one of the most famous locations in the world. But I think it's important for us to understand that the story of Bethlehem actually does not begin at the very first Christmas. Did you know this? 
Uh, the Bethlehem actually has a biblical history. Uh, the first time that we hear about Bethlehem is actually all the way back in Genesis chapter 35. Uh, now at that time, it was known by its more ancient name, Ephrathah, which is why the prophet here is saying Bethlehem Ephrathah. He's using both uh, names of this un unremarkable, undescript town to make sure that we know exactly what he's talking about, right? So there's no question about what's being uh, spoken of. And so in Genesis chapter 35, then known by its ancient name Ephrathah, it is the place where Rachel, who's Jacob's wife, dies in childbirth and was buried. Uh, which is to say that the first time that Bethlehem is introduced to us in the Bible, it is introduced to us as a place of sorrow. Now, fast forward a little bit, and Bethlehem Ephrathah is also the childhood home of David, the eighth son of a shepherd named Jesse. Now, for those of you who know your biblical chronology, you'll know that this David, the eighth son of Jesse, will later be known as King David. Now, David was the eighth son of a normal, insignificant shepherd family that lived in a normal, insignificant place, Bethlehem Ephrathah. And yet, 300 years prior to Micah's prophecy, David would be anointed as king of Israel and actually become the model of what a righteous king looks like and does. So this eighth son of a shepherd from a nowhere town becomes the king over Israel and in fact becomes the model or the archetype of what a righteous king is. Which is to say that when the prophet Micah speaks of Bethlehem, it isn't without context, it isn't without some sort of knowledge of what this place is. The prophet Micah says Bethlehem, uh, this rather insignificant place, this small village among the people of Judah, and it automatically brings to mind first the place of sorrow for Rachel, but then second, the birthplace of King David. It was kind of like um, that place that had little going for it, except someone famous had been born there. Right, like as you were kind of coming into town, uh, onto, into Bethlehem, there was a billboard that said, birthplace of King David, right? Visit David's childhood home, okay? Now, I'm getting a few chuckles for those of you who have ever driven through the state of Kansas, because you know exactly what I mean. There are some small towns in Kansas that don't have a lot going for it. I grew up in southwestern Kansas, and as you go, as you enter into the town, there is quite literally a billboard that says, so-and-so was born here in Colby, Kansas. Okay, because Colby really does have a sign like this. What's the name of the person, you might ask? I don't know. They're not that famous. <laughs> but yet Colby is like, this is the birthplace of this guy. And then actually under the sign it says, uh, a, a country western singer or something. It says like, the reason why he's famous, right? Or supposed to be famous. Um, I kind of envision Bethlehem a little bit like that. Like there's a billboard outside of town. This is the birthplace of King David. Uh, and he's the righteous king. You know, like what, here's what he's famous for. Uh, go visit his childhood home. In other words, at the time of Micah's prophecy, Bethlehem had not yet been memorialized in every nativity scene. It wasn't yet a place filled with sentimentality. It had not yet become the place of historic beauty for what it represents. 
To the prophet Micah, Bethlehem was simply a small village among the people of Judah. Now, ancient names, uh, just like today's names, often have meaning attached to them. Uh, And so, of the many possible names of the word Ephrathah, one is ash heap. They don't really put that on the marketing material. Uh, the other one, though, is, and this is quite, this is funny how words work, right? One possible meaning of Ephrathah is ash heap. Another very, like, legitimate possible meaning is fruitful. And, and so you have ash heap, you have fruitful, and I think we'll kind of get there with how these might all tie in. But of the many possible meanings, one is fruitful. And it's as though the prophet Micah had a sense that this nowhere town that was the birthplace of David would be fruitful again. That the great king that had become the archetype of, of what a good king looks like, that, this, that, that an even greater king, the Messiah, would originate from the same humble place as the king David. Can, can I take a little aside here and, and notice, just in the Christmas story, how God works through that which is small? Like, God, God works, uh, like, small is the way of God. Can we say it that way? Small is the way of God. And we can't quite get a feel for this or a sense of this in our supersized culture in America, right? Right? In America, we live in a very supersized culture. Um, we want everything big and loud and kind of in your face. But, but, but God, the way that God works is often in the small and almost imperceivable or invisible ways. God meets people in the wilderness. God in Christ is, is um, interacting with those who are poor or cast aside to the margins of society. God works through couples that are barren. God in Christ is born in a nowhere town to an unwed teenage girl. Church, small is the way of God. And yet, we want God to be big and obvious and loud. And while we may never put it this way, oftentimes the way in which we practice our spirituality is, I would like a word from God upsized, please. Right? Uh, I'd like a movement of God supersized for a small additional charge. Like, in other words, what do I need to do to get this movement of God kind of supersized and going on its way? And yet, I just simply, I want to remind us as we reflect on the Christmas story that, that supersized is not the way of God. God moves in incredible ways, but often are a little under the radar. They often seem small. This is not as a way of kind of making the work of God diminutive. It's simply acknowledging the ways in which it often plays out in our lives. And so this is sort of the ancient picture of Bethlehem, this, this small village among the people of Judah. It has a little bit of history. Uh, there's, there's this sense of it's kind of a nowhere place. It's kind of an ash heap, and yet it has some fruitfulness to it. There's, there's, there's some signs of hope. There's, there's some signs of, of a garden. 
being planted among the ashes, if, you, if you're with me, right? That's, that's kind of the ancient perception of Bethlehem. Today, modern Bethlehem sits on the West Bank, right near the border of Israel and Palestine, positioning the holy site right in the middle of the world's, one of the world's longest conflicts and most volatile areas. There are walls actually erected uh, at the border and streets are often, uh, too often, littered with signs of, of conflict and violence. And so some might ask, looking at modern Bethlehem, how could the Prince of Peace be born in a place of such volatility? And that's true, right? I, I understand that sort of inclination, because doesn't the Prince of Peace deserve a birthplace of serenity? But others may point out, where else would the Prince of Peace need to be born than in a place where peace is needed most urgently? And so today, Bethlehem is, is, is a really in a volatile area, and, and the streets are often littered with signs of conflict. But did you know that today, Bethlehem is also a place of incredible beauty? It's home to one of the oldest churches still in existence, called the Church of the Nativity. Did you know that the Church of the Nativity was first built in the year 330? 330. And the church still stands. It was then rebuilt to its current form in the 6th century AD, but this is one of the oldest church sites in the world. And it is host to many religious pilgrims from around the world seeking to visit the birthplace of our Lord. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Modern Bethlehem is a clash of beauty and of struggle. Of, you might say it this way, of beauty and of battle. And I would want to say to you, that the birthplace of God tells us a lot about what we need to know about the character of the God that we serve and the character of the God who is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ and also the truth of Christmas. And the truth of Christmas and the character of God is this, that Jesus and God, the God in Christ was not born into just our best moments or our best places. But Jesus entered into the reality of the world as it is. And the world as it is, is a place that is incredibly broken and unimaginably beautiful. It is both at the same time. And we live in this tension and we hold this tension together and we kind of look at our news feeds and we, we, and, and we say, man, the world is broken, right? And then we have these moments and we recognize that, that life is this beautiful, unimaginable gift. And it's both. And it is precisely there that Jesus is born. That God comes to us quite literally in the middle of the beauty and in the middle of the mess. While the ancient name Ephrathah could mean fruitful, 
as a promise of what is to be. It also can mean ash heap, right? The word Bethlehem, the modern name Bethlehem, means house of bread. And so you could take this in one of two directions. You could say Ephrathah, this place of, of first introduced to us as a place of sorrow, this ash heap, and yet can become the house of bread. If there's anything that, need, that, that demonstrates the goodness and the character of God is that the very same place once known as an ash heap can be known as a house of bread. Amen. This is the redemptive nature of who God is. Take it the other way. This, the Ephrathah is this place called fruitful. It's a nowhere town. It's a small village among the people of Judah. And yet it is fruitful. There is hope. There is promise in this thing that is small. And God brings it to fulfillment into a house of bread. Amen. This is the goodness of God. This is the character of God. The bread of life has entered our world in order to redeem it and to make it new. That's good news. Now, I have um, named this message the truth about Bethlehem, which is just feels, I'm an Enneagram 9, and that feels a little bit cocky. Okay, and I'm like, I'm feeling a little bit oversensitive about how I've named this message, like the truth about Bethlehem that you've never heard before, you know? Uh, so it feels a little bit cocky, but here's, here's where I want to get to, okay? Preaching is, is uh, often autobiographical, so here it is, right? Uh, so so here's, here's what I want to say, or here's what I'm trying to indicate when I say the truth about Bethlehem. And the truth about Bethlehem is this. While Bethlehem is a physical location with a rich history that points us to the great character of who God is and the goodness of God, it, is also, it also represents for us a spiritual reality. And that is this, that when we believe in Christ, we become a kind of Bethlehem. Let me explain. Let me unpack that a little bit. Just as Bethlehem is a place of brokenness and beauty, so are our lives. Yeah? We could look at the mess and the turmoil and, and, and the violence sort of represented in the streets and the, and the disruption and, and all of these kinds of things about the brokenness of Bethlehem. And we could turn that into a metaphor and we could say, you know what, that's me. That is so my life right now, right? Or we might say everything kind of looks okay on the surface, but underneath the surface, in, when, in those moments when it's just me and my thoughts, I can feel the brokenness like a weight upon my shoulders. And so we could look at Ephrathah, the ash heap, that yet has possibility of being fruitful, and we could say that is so me right now. And on the very same on the other side of the coin, we could look at the beauty of Bethlehem as it is today, as it's represented in nativity sets, and say, you know what? My life has moments like this as well. That just as Bethlehem was a place of infinite beauty and real world struggle, so too are you and I. And when we believe in Christ, 
Jesus is born in us. When we believe in Christ, Jesus is born in us. In all of the mess, in all of the beauty, God enters into that space, the space of our own hearts, right in the middle of the mess and the brokenness and the battle and everything that's going on in the complexity and nuance of our own lives. Jesus is born right there in us. We become a kind of Bethlehem. Amen. And just as Jesus is on a mission to bring the wholeness and the peace and the hope and the joy and the love of the kingdom of God to bear on the world at large, so too is God on a mission to bring joy, hope, peace, and love to you and your life. Often when we think about God's work of salvation, we we consider it to, we only consider kind of an Easter, right? We only look at Good Friday. We only look at Easter. And that's good and that's appropriate. Uh, and yet, I, I want to include Christmas in the work of salvation, in the salvific work of God, is the fancy theological way of saying it, right? Uh, that Christmas is included in the salvific work of God, uh, which is to say that God's salvation project begins in Bethlehem by God being born in the middle of the mess and in the middle of the beauty. That God saves humanity by becoming human. God saves humanity by redefining what it means to be human. God takes on human nature in order to heal human nature. Are you with me? Right? And so here's, here's how, where I want to land this, this plane. And that's the only metaphor that preachers can ever come up with. Somehow every sermon is a plane. So here's, here's how I want to land this thing. I, I talk a lot about God's work in the world to overturn sinful systems, to do away with injustice, etc., etc., right? And, and that is certainly an important part of the gospel and an important part of Christmas. And if you don't believe me, read Mary's Magnificat, and you will find that God overturning sinful systems and ridding the world of injustice are very important themes that were right on Mary's lips after she learned that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. So we cannot overlook or jump over the systemic work that God is doing in the world, yes and amen. But I talk about that a lot. So, when it comes to personal salvation, Jesus, this is the word I want to say, Jesus seeks to save you. And by that, and by implication, I mean not just your eternal destiny. Jesus seeks to save you, not just kind of work out your eternal destiny. God is seeking to transform each and every one of us, not just make sure we end up in one place over the other. Personal salvation is a right now kind of project, not a when I die project. And so part of God's work in the world, right, to transform the world, to overcome injustice, and to do all these kind of great cosmic scale kinds of things, an integral part of God's plan to do that is to transform people, to transform individuals, 
so that they might embody these themes, these Advent themes of peace and hope, joy and love in the world in the same way or in a similar way as Jesus did. Amen. Right? That, that God is like doing a tremendous work in the world and we can talk about that and we can celebrate that and we can lean into that and we can preach about that. But part of that and an integral part of that is that God wants to do a work in you, that God wants to be born in your heart. Amen. I don't like that when I get passionate, I sound angry. I'm not angry about this. I'm joyful about this. God wants to be born in you. <laughs> I will never forget the one time I was preaching and I was like, God loves you, you know, and they're like, <laughs> so I, I apologize for the harshness of the delivery here, but uh, so the, the invitation and I've, uh, just in the last couple of days, tried to take this on as, as a prayer for my own life, really. Because um, pastors are people too, and, and the, the last two years have, have wrecked me in all the same ways that they've wrecked you. Um, and so one of the things I've been trying to think about is what if we turned this into a prayer or an invitation, a Christmas invitation, and that is that Jesus would be born in me. And you can be a Christian your whole life and pray that prayer. Or you can not yet be a Christian and pray that prayer. Uh, that is a prayer for all of us. That, that Lord Jesus Christ, would you be born in me. That I might somehow, through all the mess of what the world is right now, that I might somehow embody peace, that I might somehow embody joy and love and hope in the world. But this is what exactly what Jesus did. And if Jesus is born in us, then somehow by God's grace, we might be able to embody those things in the world. And in our families and in our households, right? Sometimes the holidays are tough because you're with family. I got some chuckles and some very nervous amens, <laughs> especially here if you're here with family, <laughs> right? And so may we embody it in our families, may we embody it in the world. And I think we can all agree that what the world needs right now is people who faithfully bear witness to hope, peace, joy, and love. And so may it be true of us. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer. Gracious God, the, the truths of Christmas are endless. It's really an endless well that we can explore. And so, God, I pray that um, this morning that you would be born in us. And I do mean in the collective sense of Emmaus Road Church, that, that we together in our life, in our ministry, would, 
would embody the ways of Christ in the world. And, and I mean that also in a, in a corporate sense, the capital C church, that, that God, that you would be born anew in the life of the church. But I also am convinced that that will only happen if you are born in each one of us. And so God, may we personalize this message today. And may we leave here with the, the prayer on our lips that you would be born in us in new ways and fresh ways. And maybe, God, there's someone here this morning that has never really made this commitment, has never really uh, committed to following and walking in the ways of Jesus and placed, placed their trust in Jesus. And so, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would lead them to a place of inviting you in for the very first time that they might experience salvation. But God, we also recognize this is a prayer for all of us, regardless of where we're at. So may you be born anew in us. And may you strengthen us for the work that you've called us to, to embody the ways of the kingdom body the ways of Christ in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in the world. This is our prayer. And I pray that as we gather around the Lord's table today, that you would be at work in our hearts. That somehow through bread and juice, that you would in fact be born in us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.